Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. I'm back after the week off. Tyler Burton joins me. And uh, when I'm out, Tyler produces the most downloaded Mainline Podcast episode in history uh, with the follow-up from the Champion Barbecue. Greatly appreciate the captain jumping on uh, for that episode. If you haven't listened to it already, make sure you go back and download it. I don't know who hasn't at this point. But Tyler, it's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back, Adam. Part-time. Um, the sole... Uh, you know what single host of the podcast uh it was a lot of fun last week obviously appreciate captain 405 joining hopping on with this talk some recruiting talk some recap and analysis of champion barbecue uh and we've kind of uh, continued to see a little bit of the fallout or maybe not fallout is the best word but maybe some of the uh, uh fruits of the labor for this oklahoma coaching staff that we're finally uh seeing rise to the surface obviously had a couple of commits during the podcast last week and then just about an hour ago, Oklahoma gets another one for the 2024 class in Xavier Robinson. And there are plenty more on the way. So we got a lot of good things to talk about tonight, including some uh, some Big 12 power rankings uh, that came out from PFF. And we're going to also kind of touch on uh, a couple things that Vegas has put some odds out in terms of Big 12 championship uh, and the favorites to win the conference this upcoming year. So, yeah, man, things are good. Let's kind of dive into it. Well, First, we got to talk about a little bit of a length and girth report, right? Because over the weekend, we've pretty much seen every single OU football player topless. So I know that's Tyler's favorite time of year. It's gain season. It's Twitter time. It's, uh, hey, everybody's been in the weight room. And we use length and girth report as kind of a joke. But I know that's uh, that gets people excited to see <laughs> all the players uh, on those uh, summer retreats. And they, they're looking good. I mean... They're they're doing their work in the weight room. Vibes are at an all time high right now, Adam. It is that time of the year. But but yeah, I mean, all, all kidding aside, it is it is fun, and it's good to see the kind of the transformation process. Obviously, we know the Schmitty factor. Him coming into his second year, kids that were able to come on campus. You know, you, you look at guys like Jaron Canick, and you know, we, we've even seen some as recent some photos that came out a little bit earlier today of Desan McCullough. We know that he was a little bit, you know, wasn't quite filled out. Frame-wise, what we saw back in the spring and just in the last three months of you know uh, uh, working with Jerry Schmidt and taking advantage of this offseason weight program, he's continuing to fill out. So it's it's obvious just by looking at some of the pictures that we're seeing online. These guys are taking the offseason, uh, this uh, strength and conditioning program with Schmitty very seriously, and uh, you know we'll we'll see if that can translate into uh, you know some wins this upcoming fall. But yeah, it's good to see these guys continuing to transform, continuing to mature. And uh, we'll see if that can uh, lead to a better uh, 2023 season from a year ago. Subscribe to our Patreon to get the full body analysis. Uh, we'll go through every single player, picture by picture, on the uh, Patreon channel. Let's talk about someone whose body is probably already filled out, or at least looks like a grown man out on the field. Just committed to OU earlier this evening, Xavier Robinson out of Carl Albert. I think one that a lot of, I guess it was, I don't know if you would call it a roller coaster necessarily, but a guy that you thought, okay, yeah, OU's in on, and then okay, maybe OU's focusing on other players, and then it became, okay, OU's going to take three backs, really, or have three open slots for their top three guys uh, in this running back class. And uh, Xavier Robinson, the first one that comes across the board, uh, filling up his reservation there. He just committed earlier. He's a guy that comes with a lot of size. He's going to bring a lot of comparisons to Samaj P. Ryan. I don't know if that's completely the same because I'm not sure that the speed is there. And I think that's harder for me to judge just because he's such a big guy. And you can tell a lot of guys in high school are saying, Hey, let me kind of clear the lane for this guy. Cause he's such a big dude, 6'2", 222 or 221 pounds. Um, and he's, he's a dude. He looks like a man out there on the field, but Tyler, what stands out to you from, from Xavier Robinson? 
I think it's just the level of physicality, Adam. I mean, you're looking at guys standing at six foot two, almost 230 pounds, going into his senior year at Carl Albert. He's going to be sharing the backfield with fellow Oklahoma Sooners commit in 2025 quarterback Kevin Sperry. So good luck to the uh, good luck to the rest of 5A in the state of Oklahoma. It's all the other teams out there. But yeah, number six overall player in the state just has a uh, a really talented back that, that has a ton of upside. You know, last season Carl Albert. The, the the stats are just eye popping. Adam ran for close to twenty six hundred yards, thirty nine touchdowns, just over nine yards per carry. So you watch this kid's tape, you watch the way he carries the football at that size with the speed, the physicality to go along with it. He's going to have an opportunity to be a really really nice player for uh, Demarco Murray and Jeff Levy's offense. So um, you, you're you're right about the uh, kind of the the path that that we took to get here with Xavier Robinson. Obviously, kind of felt like. Oklahoma has always been high on this kid. They like what they like what uh, he brings to the table, but it kind of felt like maybe about six, seven weeks ago, it was kind of starting to fall away from Oklahoma. Notre Dame was getting a little bit more involved. Iowa State's always been a key player, but then once we kind of got back, you know, within the a week or so of the Champion Barbecue, I think he was on campus two to three times over the course of ten days. So uh, momentum started to pick back up. Obviously, you know, he's got a really good relationship with Demarco. Uh, Xavier's got a former family member that played, you know, collegiate athletics at Oklahoma. So the pedigree's there, the the track record. So uh, again, it's nice having this kid on board. I know that a lot of people think, well, it's another three star, but also at the same time, Samaje Pirine was, you know, wasn't a, a five star or anything like that. And look how it came to be. So having an opportunity to be to be coached up by Demarco to be developed. And my favorite part about this recruitment, Adam, going into the SEC in 2024. One, you can you can never have too many running backs at your disposal playing in that physical of a conference. But then also number two, you need a you need a running back with this size and stature in that league. Maybe not a, a guy that's going to be your every you know every you know three down type of back, but a guy that can come in in short yardages, goal line packages, different things like that. And he just presents you know a lot of other things that maybe somebody like a a Dalen Smothers that's a little bit more of a speedster or Gavin Salchuk that, you know, has the track speed as well. He's kind of a big bruiser, almost Oklahoma's, you know, uh, version of the bus uh, from what we saw in the NFL over a few years ago. So this is a good gift for, uh, for Oklahoma and it continues to kind of, you know, build that pipeline from, from Norman uh, coming from the Carl Albert program up there in Midwest city. Yeah. He's a three-star. And I think that's when you, kind of evaluate him as just a total back maybe he's your feature back mm-hmm. uh, and if he was you know the only guy that oh you got out of this class I'd be like yeah that's that's probably a little disappointing but yeah when you're pairing him up and you have the situational use case that you have with how OU's used running backs in the past if he's your fourth quarter guy if he's your goal line guy your your short yardage guy like that's a five-star situational uh, running back sure. there so very effective and I think you need a guy like that to kind of be uh, something that OU doesn't really have on their roster really at all. I know Caleb Hicks is a guy that's kind of people have described a little bit like a bowling ball, but mm-hmm. uh, Xavier Robinson kind of in a different territory there. So you love to see that. You love to see Oklahoma guys committed there, especially from a program. You mentioned Kevin Sperry is going to be playing there. A lot of guys in the 2025 class that yes. uh, from the defensive back wide receiver perspective that could also uh, end up as Sooners. So uh, you just love having those guys uh, continue to fill out the roster. And uh, I will say, if you haven't checked out Xavier Robinson's film yet, check it out. The very first play is, is probably the most interesting one that maybe I've ever seen as the uh, the very first play that you see on a highlight reel. It's about a 10 or 12 yard run. But what it is is basically him just stiff arming a guy, you know, five yards backwards and then seven other players all tackling him at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that gives you some perspective on 
how different of a player, a different of a running back this is going to be from maybe some of the other targets like Caden Durham or Taylor Tatum that OU's targeting right now. So I'm very excited to have Xavier Robinson on board. Another guy hasn't committed yet. We don't really know exactly when it might come, but there's been some predictions floating out there for Wyatt Gilmore, the defensive end from Minnesota. He's a four-star from 247 Sports. I think he's a three-star pretty much everywhere else, but uh, he came down to the Champion Barbecue. Sounds like he's probably on the pathway to maybe being that next commitment for the Sooners. We'll go ahead and talk about him, even though he's uncommitted at this point, probably because a lot of people might be listening to this, and there's a possibility he could be committed at that point. But sure. Tyler, what do you like about Wyatt Gilmore? Well, well, I mean, there's a lot to like, Adam. Obviously, like you alluded to, four-star on 247. Uh, on three's got him as a three-star edge. Uh, six foot four, just a hair under 250 pounds out of Rogers, Minnesota. Very raw, but has a ton of upside. You know, really good athlete. Has a 40 time uh, on his huddle tape of, of a 4.78. That's really good for, a, you know, a 250-pounder uh, coming out of Minnesota. Good footwork, really quick step. Uh, for a quick first step at the snap of the football, lots of comparisons are being made for this kid to Colton Vosick, who Oklahoma fans will remember this time from a year ago. I can see a little bit of that, but when you watch the tape, I think the Vasek was a little bit more developed as far as technique, you know, goes playing the rush in. But uh, I know that he is a three star according to uh, on three, but he also held offers from uh, Miami, Iowa, Wisconsin, Oregon. So when you've got programs like Iowa and Wisconsin and, and Oregon that are you know known for you know that that brutal physical level of, uh, of play, especially up front along the defensive line, um, that's good enough for me. So Oklahoma's been battling it out right now, primarily with PJ Flake in Minnesota for this kid's services, but. Uh, Miguel Chavis has done a really good job leading the charge on Gilmore's recruitment. So um, I think that one of the things that, that is really interesting about this recruitment, Adam, I mean, this is a kid who is growing up and, and is playing, you know, less than 30 miles from Minnesota's campus just down the street, Minneapolis. And here we are talking about him, uh, you know, possibly making the decision to to go 800 miles away from home and play, you know, for Brent Venables and Ted Roof. So it just kind of goes back to the relationships and Oklahoma, you know, getting in with this kid and his family and, you know, continuing to build that up over the course of the last few months. And it looks like it's paying dividend. It, it kind of feels like with White Gilmore, it's a matter of when, not a matter of if. Yeah, I, I do agree with you on the Vasek uh, comparison there. I think mm-hmm. Gilmore is more physically developed, and it, there's a lot of projection with him because it's Minnesota high school football. It's not the same level as, as Austin, Texas uh, in that scenario. So I think there's a lot of projection there, but I do think physically he can come in ready to play. I guess the comparison that I would give to him last year, I know they play totally different positions, so there's there's not a comparison in position, but I think of him kind of like a Phil Pachotti type of player, um, just in the sense that, like, this guy is is much larger uh, size-wise, weight-wise, I think strength-wise than a lot of mm-hmm. other players have come into OU defensively over the past several yeah. years. So will he make – Does I mean, is his ceiling as high as maybe someone like uh, Williams Winery? Probably not. No. But <laughs> could his early impact maybe be – a little bit more, not not comparing him to Williams Winery at all, but maybe other defensive ends in this class just because of his physical makeup right now, potentially. So, um, you know, he's a guy that I, I think you you know, hey, there's a pretty high floor there. There may not be mm-hmm. the highest ceiling, but a really solid floor there. And I think this is OU identifying that and finding that no matter where it is across the country, whether, uh, and you, you mentioned that, you know, Iowa, uh, Minnesota, the Oregon, Miami, the types of programs that are finding elite talent, they're finding that guy in Minnesota, even though he's a mm-hmm. three-star, even though there's not a lot of recruiting sure. services that are probably going up there and evaluating guys and giving him a high ranking. 
you know, he's a guy that's probably going to rise because of the attention that OU's giving him. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think that's that's a really <clears throat> solid find there. Anything else on recruiting before we jump into some power rankings, though? Well, I, I think with Gilmore, I, I get the Vosick comparison, but I think if we're looking at a player that's currently on Oklahoma's roster, I, I kind of see a little bit of Ethan Downs in, in this kid. Obviously, Ethan Downs coming out of Weatherford, you know, a couple of years ago. I think he was kind of around that 6'4", 250, 255-pound um, you know, frame. So again, I see a lot of comparisons with White Gilmore and Downs. I think that one of the things that is going to be really interesting and why I think that this kid has a ton of upside is when you watch his huddle tape and, you know, it especially stands out in the first four or five plays, he has no problem whatsoever getting, getting past the tackle, but he kind of has a little bit of a problem where he's going so fast that he almost kind of overruns the play and he allows the quarterback to step up into the pocket, even when he's got kind of a free rush at him. But you know, that, that's a good problem to have coming out of high school where he can get with Todd Bates, he can get with Miguel Chavis and Brent Venables, and they can kind of coach him up, you know, fundamentally uh, on how to, uh, you know, get after the quarterback a little bit better. But you watch this kid's tape. Um, if Oklahoma is able to get him as a part of this class, I know he's a three star, but you look at the highlights, you look at this kid's skill set, the athleticism, it'd be a really, really nice gift for Brent Venables' defense for the class of 2024. Let's talk a little bit about power rankings because there was a recent power ranking sure. that was released from PFF. Uh, we'll go ahead and read. I'll read these off real quick, and we'll we'll dive into a few questions on them. But um, remember, these are power rankings. It's not projected order of finish. It's just you know, hey, who are the best teams really? Essentially, uh, so they have Texas, Oklahoma, TCU at three, Kansas State, Baylor. UCF at six, that's the first new program on the list there at the very highest, followed by Houston, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State at nine. BYU, Texas Tech, Iowa State at 12, and then the bottom two, they have West Virginia and Kansas all the way down there at 14. It's an interesting uh, it's an interesting power rankings, and maybe it's clickbait, but it's content. It's interesting to talk about because, um, you know, it's offseason. And so we kind of looked at this and said, okay, from what these power rankings are saying, you know, OU is going to actually play six out of the seven bottom-ranked teams, according to PFF, and only three of the top mm-hmm. uh, seven teams there. So... A very favorable schedule for OU, but of those bottom half teams, I'll list them off one more time here. The bottom seven, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, BYU, Iowa State, West Virginia, Kansas. Those are all on OU's schedule. Who do you think well, is the toughest game out of well, those? Well, Adam, Adam, before we get to that question, I mean, just looking at this overall, your thoughts on 1 through 14. I mean, does, is there anything that sticks out? I mean, uh, this team being way too low, way too high. I mean, I'll let you think about it kind of for a second here, but... I mean, Kansas being the last team in the Big 12, I mean, it kind of feels like that's a little bit of a lazy take. We're just kind of basing this upcoming year off of what we've seen in the past. And, you know, we'll touch on them here in just a little bit once we dive into Oklahoma's schedule. But, you know, Lance Leipold taking this team from 2-10 and two years ago to six wins uh, from this previous season. You know, Jane Daniels coming back. Uh, Kansas is one that seems way too high. The fact that PFF has Texas Tech number 11 all the way down there outside of the top 10 um you know we'll obviously get into this as we get as we uh get a little bit closer to the season but i probably would i'm gonna be pretty high on texas tech this upcoming year i'd probably have them closer to the top five um and then obviously kansas state being at four that's kind of a i i guess i can understand it i mean honestly i would probably have them at number two um uh, outside of texas and we can touch on that here here in just a little bit but yeah um i mean kind of honestly top to bottom i don't know how you could justify having texas tech all the way down at 11 and you surely cannot justify having uh, kansas at number 14 behind west virginia to me houston at seven and cincinnati eight seem way too high to me i think those could be the bottom two teams in the entire conference i think 
Cincinnati had a ton of turnover and Houston maybe has some of the biggest adjustment to make up to this power sure. level. So I think both of those programs could certainly fall quite a bit. You know, Texas Tech is interesting because they shuffled through quarterbacks last year with Tyler Shuck finishing out the year, but they had a lot of injuries there. I, I You look at him and you go, yeah, he's the highest ceiling player, but I think he's more limited than some of maybe the other guys uh, that they've had at the quarterback position there. So I'm curious to see what Texas Tech is because they're definitely the trendy team that everyone's getting behind. And I'm not – I think they're a solid team, but, um, you know, I just wonder, like, what – what is their ceiling or are people going to game plan a lot more for them? Because Texas tech and Kansas kind of have been probably the two worst programs over the last four years or so in the big 12 and Kansas, another program that I think a lot of teams probably aren't game planning a whole lot for and look where Kansas got last year. And so now I think teams are going to start saying, Hey, let's spend some more time in preparation on Kansas. We're not going to overlook them. They're not going to sneak up on anybody. So I wonder if there is some regression to the mean for Kansas, just because we know that they haven't stacked up the talent. They, they still had a ton of roster issues from the Charlie Weiss era that felt like they were still kind of working their way back from. So I do wonder if we've elevated Kansas too high, too fast based on one player that, you know, had some injury troubles last year. So I just wonder if Kansas has the depth when everyone's actually out looking for them at this point. So who are you picking as the toughest opponent for OU in the bottom half? I think I'm going to go with, it's between the two state schools here, Oklahoma State or Iowa State. I'm going to go with Iowa State simply because we know that that team is always going to have, I think, some level of physicality. I think they're always going to play you tough. And we know Matt Campbell will have that defense ready. They'll have a solid running game to some level. Hunter Decker's return, so you have some experience at quarterback there. I, I think that's tough. I, I know it's earlier in the year for OU, so OU might still be figuring some things out. Oklahoma State is kind of me just betting on, okay, Oklahoma State's not expected to do much, so therefore they're probably going to be pretty good. That seems to be how things roll for yeah. Mike Gundy. And I, I do like Alan Bowman. You know, he's a guy that kind of torched OU. I think it was back in 2018 at this point. So he's been around for a long time. Um, and you know, OSU's got some dudes, Mike Gundy will coach up some nobodies that you've never mm-hmm. heard of. And, um, they'll be tough, you know, it'll be a tough game there in Stillwater for the last bedlam for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Alan Bowman was actually the quarterback for Texas tech back during that matchup with Kyler Murray. And w- wasn't he the one that, uh, he took the, it was during halftime. He, t- he was playing catch and he, he took the, like, um, what he like bent over and like had a spinal issue or collapsed lung or something. Was that what it was? I think that's what it was. But he had some freak injury. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the consensus kind of coming out of that game was, OU. you know, despite Kyler Murray playing as well as he did in the second half, Oklahoma probably loses that game. If Alan Bowman was able to, you know, play, but just kind of looking at this man, obviously, um, you know, according to PFF, Oklahoma is going to be facing three of the top seven, six of the bottom seven, just starting with Kansas here for me, man. Like I alluded to, record improving from two and ten to, to six and seven a year ago. Lance Leipold has got this Kansas program moving in the right direction, and he's got coming back. You know, I think I think a lot of credit needs to be given to Jalen Daniels. I think that he's probably a top two or three quarterback in the Big Twelve uh, in this upcoming season. He's going to continue causing headaches for defensive coordinators all season long. Cincinnati, like you alluded to, you know, being in the top eight in these power rankings, the main reason that this game would worry me as an Oklahoma fan um, is because this will be the conference opener in Cincinnati's first home game as a member of the Big 12. I know that Nipper Stadium only holds about 40,000 fans, but that place is going to be sold out. This is going to be the Oklahoma's first game of the season in a hostile atmosphere. How is this group going to react? But 
you know, new head coach Scott Satterfield uh, inherits a team with a brand new coaching staff and only seven of 22 starters coming back from this team a year ago. So that's a big ask for Cincinnati. I'm not quite on board with you on Oklahoma State. You know, most question marks. I think with OSU, this is the most question marks surrounding a team going into a season that I can really ever remember since Mike Gundy got to Stillwater. You're breaking a new quarterback. Many people expect it to be Alan Bowman. Yes, they've got a couple of solid ball carriers in the backfield in Jaden Nixon, who Oklahoma fans should be familiar with, and Ollie Gordon the second. But for me, the biggest question mark is on defense. They bring in a first-year coordinator in Brian Nardo. He's bringing in his 3-3-5 scheme to a defense that only returns, I believe it's two, maybe three starters uh, from this defense a year ago. And I know that it's going to be the last bedlam for a while. I know it's going to be in Stillwater. The Poke fans are going to be juiced up. Uh, but that doesn't concern me too much, especially given the fact Mike Gundy's three and fifteen against Oklahoma. Um, I don't. Are you really that high on Iowa State? I mean, I know they were four and eight a year ago, and I don't expect Matt Campbell to miss a bowl game for two straight years. But Hunter Decker is still a quarterback, and Iowa State is going to have to find a way to replace the skill talent that they lost, uh, especially Xavier Hutchinson. Will McDonald's gone to the NFL. Um, but, you know, that Iowa State defense is coming off of a year where they led the Big 12 in rush defense. They led in total points given up, but I don't know. I, I'm just I'm, – I'm not too high on Iowa State this I'm coming not, year. I'm not either. I, I could easily see them going 4-8 and eight again, but I know that style of team and that style of coach that can really make that game closer than it really should be because most of Iowa State's games last year, I think something like 10 out of the 12 were one-possession games. So even sure. though they weren't a good team, sure. they can play a difficult game with you. They probably aren't going to win all of those. So that's kind of just what I'm getting at is I think it's tough. I think where it's positioned early in the year, I think that can be a, a tougher matchup. I, I think that you make a really good point. That could be a sneaky trap game for Oklahoma, You know, given the fact that it's sandwiched between a road trip to Cincinnati and you've got OU Texas the following weekend. So maybe a kind of a look-ahead spot for Oklahoma. Uh, but if Oklahoma takes that next step and they are the team that we expect them to be, they should take care of Iowa State pretty handily. Now, let me get to my last one here because I actually think that this is the one that um, scares me the most. It's BYU on November 18th. One thing about the Cougars is they're going to be very battle-tested by the time the Sooners come out to, to town on November 18th. Uh, BYU's got non-conference games on the road uh, in Fayetteville against Arkansas. Uh, they've got games at TCU and Fort Worth, at Texas down in Austin, and they also have to host both Iowa State and Texas Tech. Um, you know, So another familiar face, Adam, kind of feels like the transfer portal is bringing back a lot of the you know, older veterans uh, that Oklahoma's going to see on their schedule. At quarterback, BYU's going to be starting Keaton Slovis, the Pittsburgh transfer, to go along with a bunch of new faces, most notably Aiden Robbins, the running back transfer out of UNLV. I know this is a team that struggled a bunch defensively last year, has a new coordinator going into this upcoming season, but for some reason, and I've kind of we've kind of felt this way ever since the schedule got announced, that road trip out to Provo scares me the most when you look at the uh, the opponents on the back half of this schedule. It's going to be cold. High altitude. The stadium's going to be rocking, and Oklahoma's going to be coming off of a tough four game stretch, uh, four games straight since the bye week. So BYU is probably the one that's got uh, that's got me the most worried out of all those teams in the back half of the schedule. I was just looking at BYU's schedule from last year to kind of see, you know, what adjustment are they going to have to make from a Power Five opponent perspective? And they do schedule some tough teams. They played Baylor and Oregon. Uh, they played Notre Dame, Arkansas, Stanford mm -hmm. last year, um, but that's that's it. So they're definitely going to see a pretty big jump. So I'm not as concerned, and probably for the same reason I'm not as concerned about TCU, is that by the end of the year, 
those are the teams that are going to have less depth than Oklahoma is. Um, they may be beat up, uh, not necessarily TCU, but BYU probably will be because although they've recruited at a pretty high level for a long time, um, they're, they're also making a big adjustment here to the amount of Power 5 teams that they're going to be playing on a regular basis. So I'm not as concerned about that. How about another new team, UCF, number six, according to PFF here, kind of sneakily high, a, a team that I think a lot of people would say, yeah, they're probably the best position to go into a power conference and have immediate success because they've been a good program for a very long time. They are in Florida. They're recruiting a lot of really good players. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. they're working in the transfer portal. Uh, John Rice Plumley, their quarterback, an example of that, transferred from Ole Miss uh, after Matt Corral, you know, kind of took that job. And I don't think there's any shame in that, losing out a job to Matt Corral. And you've got Gus Malzahn at the helm, who's mm-hmm. won a national championship. So you've got guys that have done it at a high level that are already there. Are we maybe overlooking or discounting the Golden, or I shouldn't say the Golden Knights. They'll get mad at me. The Knights. Well, I surely hope Oklahoma's not. I think that when you look at these four newcomers that are joining the Big 12 this upcoming season, both in coaching with Gus Malzahn and from a talent standpoint on the roster, I think UCF sits in the best position out of those four teams right now. And, you know, one of the good things about Oklahoma is you get UCF at home. And obviously that's going to be a game that's got major storyline implications surrounding Jeff Levy, surrounding Dylan Gabriel, you know, both guys that, you know, played and coached, um, you know, recently at UCF. So I think that that's one that they're definitely going to have Oklahoma's attention. And, you know, to even take it one step further, Adam, all 12 of these opponents on Oklahoma's schedule, you're coming off of a six and seven year. Every single one of these teams better have your attention because you cannot afford to repeat uh, this season results from a year ago. So, yeah, UCF's definitely something that Oklahoma fans uh, should be keeping an eye on. Let me ask you this one. We've talked a lot about how OU needs to have improvement this year. Mm-hmm. They need to be, I think most people are saying nine wins. I think it needs to be even higher, a higher bar than that. But a lot of people saying nine wins. A lot of people saying, hey, we need to see the improvement out there to know that this ship is headed in the right direction, that Brent Venables is indeed our guy. And you look at this schedule, according to PFF, OU's playing a lot of not so great teams from the Big 12, bottom half teams. Mm-hmm. And OU was one of those teams last year, so they're going to have to get out of that cellar themselves. But is it possible that we could be looking at, you know, the end of the year and OU's played a bunch of these teams that, you know, as predicted right now are not so great. OU has a good record, nine, 10 wins or so, and not really know if this team has improved just because of the schedule being a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's highly possible, and I think you make a good point for me. I think that the floor, when you look at this schedule, is nine wins. This should be a 10-win football team, though, uh, you, you know, as we sit here on, on June 27th. But, Adam, in my opinion, we're not going to truly find anything out about this team until the Cotton Bowl. kind of feels like we say that almost every single year, but I think that that really, uh, I think that really hits home this, for this upcoming season. You've got Arkansas State, uh, SMU, road trip to Tulsa. Those should be three easy non-conference wins there that the Sooners, honestly, if they're playing their A game, shouldn't be challenged. Uh, so I don't think it's going to tell us much. Hell, last year after week three, we were ready to pencil Oklahoma into the college football playoff after they went up to Lincoln and beat the Cornhuskers by 35. And we all know how that season turned out. But I think the road game at Cincinnati could be a challenge because of the crowd and the atmosphere alone. But if Oklahoma has taken that next step, they should take care of business. I've already given you my thoughts on Iowa State. I know it's Matt Campbell, and he always plays Oklahoma you know, tough. Uh, since he's had since he's been up there in Ames but uh, we're going to find out about Oklahoma on October 7th this is the measuring stick it is every single year Quinn Ewer's year two 
the best collection of skill talent in the conference, you know, with most notably Xavier Worthy uh, and Jatavion Sanders. Texas is going to be in their uh, uh, their defense is going to be in the third year under Pete Kwiatkowski. They made some significant strides a year ago. And one year ago, Adam, and this is the biggest thing of all, you got your ass whooped 49 to nothing. So Oklahoma better show up pissed off, ready to go on October 7th when they make the trip down to Dallas. But uh, then you round out the season with four very winnable games against UCF, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, uh, before BYU and TCU to close it out. So it is a very, favorable, uh, very, very favorable schedule by comparison to years past. So um, you I think that one of the biggest things too, Adam, that you've you've brought up on this podcast time and time again, you don't have to play Baylor, you don't have to play Kansas State, you don't have to play Texas Tech, three teams that you lost to a year ago. So I expect this team to win a minimum of nine games, and we'll find out just how far they've come uh, after we walk out of the Cotton Bowl on the seventh of October. Kind of in contrast, or maybe even in similarity to the power rankings are the Big Twelve odds. We went and looked those up from FanDuel. A little bit of difference, a little bit of variation from what Vegas thinks are the best teams yeah. that have the best chance to win the Big 12 versus what PFF has here. Uh, I'll read these off, uh, maybe some of the, the ones that stand out. Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State are going to be your leaders there uh, with the best odds to win the Big 12 uh, in that order. And then there's some pretty big differences, whereas Kansas was dead last uh, on odds or on the power rankings, they're a little bit more towards the middle as far as what Vegas is concerned. They're plus 4,800. And for those who are not big uh big bettors or or vegas people basically that just means hey if you bet a hundred dollars on kansas um you're gonna win forty eight hundred dollars plus your money back so when we give those odds that's an easy way to translate that but kansas a little bit different there um vegas really low on houston they were ranked really high by pff they're all the way at the bottom with plus twelve thousand on odds byu right above them at plus ten thousand so a lot of variation and difference there but tyler overall on some of these odds um you know what stands out to you the most as far as what Vegas is predicting? Well, I think that they're trying to bait you into taking Texas. Um, pretty pretty heavy favorite by comparison, you know, at least double the favorite to the next closest team, which is Oklahoma. Um, we'll obviously touch on it here in a little bit. Um, Kansas State and Texas Tech are really good plays. Obviously, Kansas State a little bit more realistic of an opportunity, but if you wanted to take a flyer on somebody, Texas Tech at plus 1,100 wouldn't be, you know, a bad bet if you wanted to throw, you know, 20 bucks down on it. Um, but honestly, just kind of looking at this Vegas, Vegas with their, their odds to win the big 12 championship, these, these kind of follow the lines of where I'm kind of more in tune with in terms of power rankings. Obviously, like you said, Houston's going to be one of the bottom feeder teams this upcoming season. I'm still kind of shocked on how high Vegas and honestly, PFF thinks about Cincinnati. Obviously Luke Fickle's no longer up there in Ohio, you know, breaking a brand new Coach and Scott Satterfield is going to, you know, be bringing in a brand new scheme, a lot of new faces. Uh, the fact that, you know, both of these sites are so high, uh, you know, on the Bearcats is, is kind of shocking. Um, I never thought I would live in a world, Adam, where in college football in the Big 12, Kansas would have better odds to win the conference than Oklahoma State. So that was kind of one of the other things that kind of stood out. So shout out to Lance Leipold and the, the direction that he's got this Kansas program moving in. Yeah, Oklahoma State, you mentioned at plus 5,000, just uh, below Kansas at plus 4,800. So pretty interesting there. I, you know, you look at those top three, Texas plus 125, Oklahoma plus 340, Kansas State plus 470. And then there's a pretty big drop. It goes down to mm -hmm. Texas Tech and Baylor, both over 1,000 at that point. So 
Vegas is definitely thinking, hey, the top three, there's there's a pretty good separation there. And Kansas State, to their credit, they're bringing back their entire offensive line. Skylar Howard looked great towards the end of the year. Um, they do lose, you know, uh, Deuce, but you know, I, I think they've got some nice pieces. I think Kansas State's kind of one of those teams that does have a pretty defined floor. And you've got a guy in Skylar Howard that could probably really raise that. It's something that I think K-State is missing, has been missing for quite a while. Adrian Martinez had some injuries. Maybe he was going to be that guy, but Skylar Howard, Howard uh, I keep saying Skylar Howard, yeah. Skylar Thompson, or Will Howard, sorry. Will Howard. Uh, there's too many Wills and Skylars at K-State. Um, but Will Howard, yeah, he's a guy that I think uh, kind of just took the reins and said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be the difference maker. And so mm-hmm. maybe he's the guy that's going to do it again. I kind of have doubts, though, because we've seen the Big 12 ever since they went back to that conference championship game format. There's always been different teams that are getting there, teams that you didn't expect at the beginning of the year. Um, go back to last year. No one expected TCU. K-State was probably dark horse at best. Go back the year before that. Nobody thought Oklahoma State or Baylor was probably going to be there. Go back the year before that. You know, what? Nobody thought, hey, it's, it's going to yeah. be Iowa State, TCU, Baylor. Like We can go back and back year after year after year. There's always a team that's not there. But is this year going to be different, in your opinion? Do you think it's going to be the top three, or do you see someone else really making a run here? Well, Adam, the same two teams have never played twice in the Big 12 championship game since they kind of brought that format back uh, at Cowboys Stadium. But no, I think that Vegas does have it picked right here. Texas, OU, and Kansas State, they those are the heavy favorites, obviously. Um, I, I think that the Big 12 championship or Big 12 champion is in that group of three right there. If you made me take those three or the field, I think that by far and away, those are the three best teams in the conference for the upcoming season. Um, I mean, honestly, I, we've talked about this in the group chat. I'm, I hate to say that I'm buying into it, but I'm going to be high on Texas this upcoming year. And obviously we're going to find out just how good Texas is when they make the, uh, the trip up to Tuscaloosa in week two. But like I said, Quinn Ewers, as bad as he was for most of the season, he's going to have from the offensive line all the way to the collection of skill talent that's going to be surrounding him. There's not going to be a better group, um, you know, in the conference uh, for the 2023 uh, season. Oklahoma, I'm in wait and see mode. You know, they've got the tools. You know, we've all seen the blue chip ratio. Oklahoma's got the talent. We brought in some transfers, add some key positions predominantly, uh, you know, in the trenches. Kansas State, like you said, you've got Will Howard. Can he build on a fantastic back half of last season, lead them to another Big 12 championship behind that starting offensive line, which all five of them return? But, yeah, I I don't think that it is going to be wide open. Obviously, Oklahoma does does not have to play Kansas State. Kansas State has to make the trip up to Austin to take on the Longhorns in Austin. So, yeah, I think that Vegas is uh, they've they've hit the nail right on the head here. I think that these are the three best teams in the conference, and um, the champion's going to come out of this group. If I had to force you to identify a lower half team, so we'll draw the line at UCF at thirty five hundred plus thirty five hundred. Anyone below that, so that's UCF, that's Iowa State, that's Kansas, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, oh. West Virginia, BYU, or Houston. Those are considered your long shots. Uh, to let's just say make it to the Big Twelve Championship game. Is there a team in there that you would say, hey, I think that they have maybe the pieces if everything falls right? Oh God. Um... If everything falls right, and I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but I'm probably going to go with Oklahoma State here at plus five thousand. I think that let me let me kind of let me try to prove this because I'm not even sold on it. But you've you've given me some really bad teams to have to choose from here. Mike Gundy hasn't had a losing season in Stillwater in a long, long time. I know that he's got a brand new quarterback to break in in Allen Bowman, new scheme on the defensive side of the football with a bunch of stars that they've got to replace. But Oklahoma State, you look at their schedule. 
They don't have to play TCU. They don't have to play Baylor. They don't have to play Texas. Their biggest two games of the year uh, is going to be BYU and Oklahoma. And they get Oklahoma, their arch rival, on their home field uh, up there in Stillwater, Boone Pickens Stadium. So if you made me take a flyer, if Alan Bowman pans out, if they can continue to run the football and the defense can be better than what what it was a year ago, especially with that brand-new 3-3-5 scheme that they're bringing up there, I guess OSU's the play. Um, Everywhere else underneath, I, I just don't see it. OSU was the one that I had circled as well. You know, for the same reasons that we look at OU's schedule and say, yeah, 10 wins minimum. I mean, look at OSU's schedule. They avoid Texas. Uh, they Their two toughest games are at home versus K-State mm-hmm. and versus OU. After that, their next toughest game is maybe either BYU at home or at UCF. Maybe Kansas hosting. Like, that, that gets real, real slim pickings of what the next toughest game is at that point. So... Again, yeah. it's it's all belief and buy-in on, hey, we respect Mike Gundy. He's a weird guy. He sometimes, you know, loses bedlam overthinking things, but otherwise, he wins a lot of games and he does it without the best players. He doesn't recruit super well, but he finds a way. And so that schedule's super easy. And I know <laughs> there's tons of questions. They had lots of guys leave. They had random players coming in from D three schools and D two schools uh, in the transfer portal, and you just wonder like there's no way that like he's going to be able to put this together, but I have to look back at OSU's track record and I have to at least respect and say, even though I don't see it coming whatsoever, like Mm -hmm. the paths there from a schedule perspective and from a past track record perspective. So I have to at least respect it. I just, I can't really give much else beyond that. That kind of gives me hope. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to think about the possibilities Mike Gundy would have up at OSU if he actually put an emphasis on recruiting on a consistent annual basis, but Iowa state, I mean, you, you've, you made some good points about them earlier, you know, earlier in the episode, Adam, but I mean, Iowa state's schedule, just big 12 alone. I mean, starting out, you've got OSU, you've got to go to Norman. Then you've got TCU. Then you've got back-to-back road trips where you've got to go to Cincinnati and Baylor. Oh, and then by the way, you're closing three game stretch for Matt Campbell's team at by at BYU up in Provo home against Texas, and then you've got you close out the year in Manhattan against Kansas State. So I again I don't expect I don't expect Iowa State to go four and eight a year ago, but like they did a year ago. But when you look at that schedule, if Matt Campbell makes a bowl game this upcoming season with that roster up there in Ames, you you gotta give this coach a lot of you gotta give this guy a lot of credit. But yeah, I guess I'm gonna go with uh with Oklahoma State as kind of a sleeper if I had to put take a flyer and put some money on it. Last one here I'll ask you before we wrap up the show. TCU, a team that we haven't talked a whole lot about this evening, but a lot of people think, hey, that's probably OU's second toughest game after Texas. I personally think it's it's Iowa State because of where it's scheduled earlier in the year. But TCU, coming off a national championship game appearance, Vegas has them plus 1,900, uh, right there at number six, I guess, best odds in the conference to win the Big 12. The PFF rankings have them a little bit higher. They have them rated at three. Some variance there. So are we maybe not just as OU fans, but college football fans in general, are we overvaluing TCU or should we have the Horn Frogs a little bit more the way Vegas does as more of a middle of the pack team? I think that kind of remains to be seen. I, I'm more in line with, I think, PFF's thought process because PFF has them at what? They've got them at three? Three. Right? Three. Yeah. I wouldn't have them quite that high, but I would probably have them, you know, right around that that five spot, right around that four to five spot. Um, obviously, I think that TCU, they're 
it, it was one. It was the best story in college football a year ago. What this team was able to overcome. Obviously, first year new head coach in that program, and then you you just kind of look at the schedule with what TCU's got in front of them this upcoming fall. Uh, they've got Colorado. I know that Dion's there. That's a win. Uh, Nichols, Houston, uh, SMU, West Virginia at Iowa State. There's a very realistic chance that this TCU team is six and zero when BYU comes to town uh, on October 14th. So if you can figure out a way to get out there to six, maybe seven and zero, I think that that puts TCU in a really good position. But I, I I'm just not quite there yet because. I know that Chandler Morris, obviously, he was good up until he got hurt a year ago. The Max Ju- Max Duggan took his job away and never gave it back to him. But TCU's been very active this offseason in the transfer portal. You know, especially the most notable addition is Tommy Brockermeyer from Alabama, uh, the offensive lineman. So, again, if TCU can figure out a way to to rattle off six or seven straight wins this season, and then you find a way to maybe win two or three out of this closing stretch. Listen to this, Adam. TCU's final six games this year at K-State, at Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor at OU on a short week. So you better get you better get it while the getting's good uh, early in the season. Once you once you flip that page to November, it's going to be tough sledding for uh, for the Horn Frogs. One hundred percent. Well, we greatly appreciate everyone listening in this evening. No episode next week. Next Tuesday is July fourth, so we will have the week off. We may have we may have a YouTube video drop next week. Kind of depends on whether I want to put it out there or not. Uh, we got a new highlight video that's coming. Uh, maybe next week, maybe be the week after. We'll see. But greatly appreciate everyone listening. If you made it this far, let us know that you enjoyed the show. Give us a five-star ranking on uh, on iTunes or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter as well at the Mainline Pod. Until two weeks from now, we appreciate everyone listening. We will see you next time for another episode of Mainline Podcast. Boomer! <laughs> <laughs>